This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 137. Recording January 11th, 2023. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Uh, before getting into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So down down to those places, search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits. So, definitely got a lot to unwrap and talk about the state of late night television, especially in regards to Jimmy Fallon. Talk about the NFL playoffs a tiny bit. Talk about Hogwarts Legacy. And, of course, how things are very pairing <clears throat> into movie theaters, especially with the uh, surprising number that the movie Megan made. Uh, and talk about uh, YouTube a tiny bit. So, without further ado, let's jump right into sports because playoff time. Uh, very briefly, talk the college football uh, national championship. Georgia won 65 to. Uh, 65 to 7. Yeah, against TCU. And actually, I read something about the ratings for the New Year's Eve game against uh, Ohio State. Like, I caught a glimpse. It said maybe 20 million people were watching that game. And that game went on till the like, exactly around uh, midnight uh, to begin 2023. So, yeah. So let's jump right into the Saturday games that happened for the NFL. Week 18 NFL scores. So, the Saturday game consisted of Kansas City and Las Vegas and Jacksonville Jaguars and Tennessee Titans. So let's jump to the Chief game because they won 31 to 13 in pretty convincing fashion. So they have the number one seed and they'll enjoy a week off. Uh, Raiders finished the season disappointing six and eleven season. Definitely, the last few weeks were not good for them. Pat Mahomes threw for 202 yards and a score. The run game, uh, a couple scores on the ground. One from uh, Pacheco. Ronald Jones got a touchdown. Darius Tony with a rushing touchdown. Jarek McKinnon getting his ninth receiving touchdown of the year at six straight games with a receiving touchdown, which is pretty good. It makes you wonder the what-ifs on McKinnon's career. So, finishing on a good note offensively, kind of. Jared Stidham, not exactly a grand game, but not horrible. 219, one score, one pick. Josh Jacobs, 45 yards on 17 carries. Not good. Hunter Renfro with a touchdown. Devontae Adams, 5 for 73 to end the season. I believe he is the first leading uh, receiving guy for the Raiders since 1976. Uh, Cliff Branch. I believe that's that's the guy's name. Obviously, defensively... Chiefs did a really good job. You know, Andy Reid's always going to be competitive. 
So the Saturday, the second Saturday game, Tennessee ends the season on a poor note. The Jaguars go to the postseason for the first time since 2017, a 20 to 16 victory. Nine and eight Jaguars, Titans seven and ten to finish the year. Josh Dobbs had an okay game, 179 to score and a pick. Derrick Henry ran for 109 yards, so he ends the season on an okay note. Not really anything grand as far as the receiving game goes. Who knows what's going to happen if this team gets dismantled or whatever. Trevor Lawrence, 212 and a score. The run game, pretty abysmal. ETM was 17 to lead the way. Christian Kirk, the only strong receiver. There were definitely some missed opportunities, and that was addressed on uh, on the broadcast when uh, Lawrence was interviewed. And I believe they also had a uh, pick six in that game. So, you know, pretty good to finish the season. Who knows if they'll make a splash or not, but I think it'll be exciting to watch. Actually, one of the things ESPN did um, as far as that broadcast goes, I'm not sure if they did with the uh, Chief game, uh, was reverse their um, microphones to make it look like a three in honor of uh, DeMar Hamlin, who, as it is right now, is back in Buffalo following his uh, collapse uh, last week. So... So let's jump to the Sunday games. I'll start off with some teams on the fringe. Buffalo in uh, New England, Pittsburgh and uh, Cleveland, Jets and uh, Dolphins. We'll talk those. So Steelers finished the season nine and eight with a twenty-eight to fourteen victory over Cleveland. Nine and eight, so winning season again for Mike Tomlin, and it continues his streak that he's done since he started coaching the team. Browns dropped to 7-10 and 10 to end the year. Deshaun Watson, okay game, 232 scores, two picks. Nick Chubb leading the way with 77 yards rushing. He actually caught himself a fair amount of passes, 5 for 45 in his first receiving touchdown of the year. Spreading the ball fairly in some big, not, not many like yards altogether. 51, 45, 42, 42. Uh, from Mari Cooper, the Njoku guy, Peoples-Jones, and the rest is pretty small. I have a feeling uh, Kareem Hunt's going to go somewhere else. And Pittsburgh, can you pick it? Kind of a eh, game. Pretty bad as far as completions and attempts. 195 on a score. Najee Harris ran for 84 on a score. Derek Watt got a touchdown. And Pickens getting a touchdown to finish the season. Um, one of the things I'll bring up pretty quickly, uh, is the kind of how classless Pittsburgh is at times. Like they kind of show kind of how distasteful they are. They did a fake CPR celebration and they really, that's just stupid on their part. I think they apologized, but got to use your head on that. And speaking of using your head, we'll be talking about that for the Sunday night game that happened. So, 9-8 and eight to finish the season, Pittsburgh. So, we're going to go to Miami. 
Miami Dolphins 11 to 6. Such a horrible game between the Dolphins and the Jets. Joe Flacco 18 for 33 and 149. The the night guy 22 yards rushing. Garrett Wilson 89 yards receiving. No one else had anything higher than 17. Bad all around. Skylar Thompson didn't fare much better. 152. No touchdowns, no picks. Jeff Wilson led the way. Thumb injury for Raheem Mostert. His, I think he's up in the air for if he'll play or not. Wilson ran for 72. Mostert, 71. Gesicki leading the way with 46 yards receiving. Nothing too great here either. Safety to end the game. I wonder if that screwed a lot of people in Vegas. Defensively, no fumbles, no interceptions, just one sack given up, and that was Miami giving up the sack. Excuse me. So the biggest question I'll get to is what happened with New England. Well, actually, before I forget, nine and eight uh, Dolphins, seven and ten uh, Jets. Patriots end their season eight and nine with a thirty-five to twenty-three loss to Buffalo, who ends the season thirteen and three. They are the second seed in the AFC. Two kickoff return touchdowns for uh, the Bills. Naeem Hines do, doing it on the opening play and later on in the game. Just for a brief moment on that. Uh, Mac Jones, 243, three scores, but three interceptions. Uh, Stevenson leading the way with 54 yards rushing. Devontae Parker, big game, 79 yards, two touchdowns. Jacoby Myers found the end zone, too. Other than that, not really anything too great with the receiving game. Bourne with 45, Hunter Henry with 42 uh, in receiving yards. Josh Allen, not the greatest Accurate game, but 254, three scores and a pick. Uh, James Cook, 45 yards. So that run game is still a huge question mark, in my opinion. Stephon Diggs, 104 and a score. Other than that, not too much else. Uh, Brown, 42 and a score. Gabe Davis, 39 yards. You never know if he'll. You never know he'll have a big game in the playoffs, maybe. I'd like to see something similar to what he did last year against Kansas City. Knox found the end zone, too, to end the season. Uh, defensively, uh, Buffalo still having turnover issues. Two fumbles and an uh, interception. Number two seed, uh, man, I'd be a little nervous. So the biggest question for uh, the Dolphins, because Buffalo and Miami are facing each other, Tua Tugaviola. Will he be there, and will he be ready? To me, that makes a difference between this being a close game or being a bad game. And Miami had beaten Buffalo uh, to give them their first loss. And it was a pretty tight game against uh, each other uh, week 15. Tight game. In the end, Buffalo prevailed. This is going to be in Buffalo. Obviously, the wind's going to be a factor. The weather's going to be a factor. You don't want to play in cold weather. Uh, I believe I saw a stat on NFL Network, 0-2 in the playoffs in Buffalo. 
So let's jump into some other games. Baltimore, uh, Cincinnati. Bengals end the season 12 and 4 with a 27 to 16 victory victory over the Ravens 10 and 7. Uh, Anthony Brown uh, less than 50% completions, but 286. Unfortunately, two interceptions. Kenyon Drake scored a touchdown. That's the only touchdown. They got some unlikely guys to lead the way in receiving. Joe Burrow, 215 in the score. Joe Mixon scored, but 27 yards rushing. The run game has not been good for Cincinnati over the last month or so, so that is a huge concern. These two teams will face each other this weekend. Jamar Chase with a touchdown. Boyd with 50 yards. Joe Mixon uh, getting some catches too. 5 for 41. Rest not so much. Defensively, Baltimore defense still doing pretty well, but they coughed up the ball a lot more uh, offensively. One fumble by uh, Cincinnati. Minnesota, 29-13 in their victory over Chicago. 13-4, the Vikes and the Bears, 3-14. Kirk Cousins, 225 on the score. They did let Nick Mullins play, 116 and a pick. Two touchdowns by Matteson, uh, 54 yards, leading the way, rushing. Dalvin Cook, 37 yards. Osborne with uh, 117. Naylor with a decent game for 62 yards. Jefferson uh, ends his season four catches for 38. A lot of people catching the ball, including Adam Thielen with the only touchdown that they threw. Nathan Peterman led the way for uh, Chicago, 114 in the score. They had this Boyle guy, 33 and two picks. Uh, Khalil Herbert, 50 yards rushing. Uh, this Jones guy, 42 and a score. Uh, Cole Komet, 57 yards and a score. Chase Claypool ends the season on a very disappointing note, 2 for 29. I would say, overall, just the passing game was just dreadful in Chicago. Very dreadful. Two turnovers each on both sides. Uh... Only one sack given up. Chicago got sacked once. Falcons end their season on a decent note. 30-17 against Tampa. 7-10 is the Falcons. And the Buccaneers are 8-9. So this is the first losing season with Tom Brady as the starter. He did play a little bit. 84 and a score. They had uh, Blaine Gabbert play a little bit, and I believe, was that Kyle Trask? Kyle Trask. Selected by, oh, this is a second-year guy. Wow. I don't remember Trask. Giovanni Barnard played, 28 yards rushing. That was the best out of anybody. Chris Godwin played, 55 yards. Um, Rashad Perryman played, Russell Gage. Kyle Rudolph played. He had a touchdown. Gage also had a touchdown. Leonard Fournette did play a tiny bit. I'm not sure if he got hurt or not. But not a good game passing-wise. Desmond Ritter, 224 and two scores. Uh, 
Algier, 135, rushing. Cordero Patterson found the end zone. This was this Drake London, I think his name is. Big receiving game, 120 yards. This is Zacchaeus with a touchdown. This Pruitt guy with a score. And defensively, both sides would turn over. Atlanta gave up a couple sacks. Carolina, not exactly a good game, but they got their points in the second half and uh, finished the season 7-10. Saints finished the season 7-10 too. Sam Darnold, really bad game, 43 yards, passing two interceptions. Uh, Hubbard, 69 yards rushing, Foreman, 68. I'm assuming they like a fumble or something, I guess. They did sign back Josh Norman, who played with them for about four years. So he was their leading tackler uh, as far as uh, leading tackles, uh, two assists. Yeah, eight eight in total. Yeah, no one looked all that good. Um, Andy Dalton, 171 in the score. Alvin Kamara finishes the season on a good note, 107 yards. Uh, rushing... Olave with the only touchdown in the game for the Saints. Dang, David Johnson played a tiny bit too. So, yeah. Uh, That must have been like a return score or something. Oh, man. That was like high expectations, I think, for both these teams. And to end it on a... Kind of a bad note, although Carolina, they were looking like a better team in the last couple months. So this one's going to be interesting. Houston Texans win. 32-31, to they came back to beat the Colts. Texans finished 3-13-1, so Chicago has the first overall pick and they have the second. Colts 4-12-1. Davis Mills, 298, three scores, two picks. The run game's still abysmal. This Ungenbaule guy led 33 yards rushing. Brandon Cooks, big game, 106 and a score. Aikens, 70 yards, two scores. On the Colts side, Sam Ellinger, 209, two scores, two picks. Zach Moss, another decent game. Well, good game, really. 114 in the score. Deion Jackson leading the way, 6 for 75, receiving. Pittman with a touchdown. Mulally Cox with a score. And on the defensive side, three turnovers each. A couple sacks given up by the Colts, one given up by Houston. And they fired Lovey Smith, the Texans. So, this will go into, very briefly, my thoughts on his situation. And this is a guy that's been screwed, I think, by the league a number of times. Screwed by teams. He got screwed in Chicago. Finishing his time there, a 10-6 record in 2012, and he gets thrown out. If there's ever a case to make a case for black people getting screwed, this is one of those examples. 
But then you get the racists such as Bomani Jones to cry all this crap and all that. But all black coaches aren't treated well and all this stuff. Maybe there's something behind the scenes that there's a reason why guys like Eric Bieniemy are not getting hired. I think people are deluding themselves if they think a guy like Bieniemy is going to change things with a team because he has everything in Kansas City right now and you're not getting a Pat Mahomes with with Bieniemy as a head coach. You're not. And it doesn't always translate well to, to success. I mean, just to bring this up, Ben McAdoo, great as an offensive coordinator with New York, does well his first year, falters the second year, and screws up royally. That Eli Manning benching was probably the last straw for the Giant organization. But what do I know? Especially with the Nathaniel Hackett, supposed to be like an offensive-minded guy, they the Broncos looked really bad this year. And I'll talk about the Bronco game in a little bit. Probably probably cleaning house or something. I don't know. But some people need to not pull the racist card yet. Especially when you have like five white guys that are being fired or being let go or retiring potentially. 49ers, speaking of which, 38-13 to in a victory against uh, Arizona, 13-4 for the year. Cardinals, 4-13. and David Blow, one touchdown, two picks. Trace McSorley played, 29 yards, one pick. Corey Clement, 23 yards and a score. That's their best rusher. A.J. Green had a really big game, 91 yards and a score, but only three catches. No one else looked all that great. On the San Francisco side, Brock Purdy, 178, three scores. Eli Mitchell, 55 and and two scores. McCaffrey at 45. Ayuk leading the way with 59 yards receiving. McCaffrey had a receiving touchdown. Kittle had two, 11 touchdowns to finish the season. Even the fullback got a catch. Jusek, Kyle Jusek, I don't know how you say his last name. 26 yards. Debo Samuel did play two, two for 20. And obviously, defensively, four turnovers by Arizona. Three sacks given up. Actually, the Cardinal defense uh, managed to get four sacks, including two in what is the final game of J.J. Watt in his career. There will be a lot of speculation, I think, on whether or not he'll be a Hall of Famer. I think he has enough to get in. He was that dominant of a player in some of the Pro Bowls and the MVPs and all that. But Defensive Player of the Year, you know what I mean. He should be a Hall of Famer. First ballot, I'm not sure, but he should get in pretty early when he's when he's due for eligibility. Uh, Cardinals fired Cliff Kingsbury, so this was a weird year. And I think it kind of stems from what happened last year, starting 7-0 and and finishing the season 10-7. and they did not look all that good. The run game was often inconsistent. Kyler Murray did not look all that great. All the offensive pieces couldn't do anything. Defensively, there wasn't anybody there. There is speculation on Vance Joseph being the head coach there. 
the Cardinals have got to be one of the most snake bitten of any of these franchises. Like worse than Ares, worse than Cleveland, worse than several other places. And yeah, just just a complete dumpster fire. I'm not sure if this franchise will ever win a Super Bowl. So, Dallas. Way to go. You embarrassed yourselves. 26 to 6 victory. Washington beats Dallas. Commanders 8-8 eight, eight and 1 and the Cowboys 12 and 5. So, the NFC East finishes the season with 500 or better across all four teams. Dak Prescott, 128, one score, one pick, 14 for 37. Not a good way to finish the season. Tony Pollard led with 19 yards rushing, just barely enough to get to 1,000 yards for the first time in his career. C.D. Lamb, 52 yards and a score, the rest not so much. Schultz, 33, Hilton, 19, Gallup, uh, 10 yards, and who knows what happens. Uh, Dallas faces uh, Tampa on Monday night. Uh, Washington, Sam Howell, 169, one score, one pick. This uh, Patterson guy, 78 yards rushing. Howell actually ran for a score. Terry McLaurin, 74 in a receiving score. Dotson, 72 yards. The rest barely did anything else. Both sides with turnovers. Dallas had two turnovers. Uh, Washington with one. Uh, Dallas defense sacked Howell three times. Uh, Prescott got sacked once. So we got an interesting uh, thing. So I'll briefly talk about that. Overtime victory, 19-16. Seahawks, 5-12 Rams. Seattle, 9-8. Baker Mayfield, Ends his season on a bad note, 147, 50% completion and a pick. Cam Akers finishing with a third straight 100-yard game, 104. Vance Jefferson, 61 yards, leading receiver. Higby, 33. Akers managed to tack on 24 on three catches. This Atwell guy uh, with the only touchdown for the Rams. Geno Smith, not a good way to end his season either. 213, one score, two picks. Kenneth Walker, 114 yards rushing. Geno actually put in 51 as well. Tyler Lockett, 54 and a score. Metcalf, 40. Fant, 20 yards. And defensively, number of sacks given up. Five given up by the Rams. Seahawks give up three. Two turnovers, two interceptions for Seahawks, one interception by the Rams. There's a lot of speculation going on into uh, what's going to happen with Sean McVay. There's questions on whether he'll return or not, or if he's thinking about retiring. He is a very young guy, so keep that in mind. Maybe he takes a year off to think about other things, but this was just a... I don't think he ever experienced this much of a roller coaster. Of, of a season, given the issues with Matthew Stafford getting hurt, um, the quarterback carousel, nothing working defensively, nothing working offensively. 
too many injuries, too. I mean, it, it, that really impacted them greatly. Impacted them so much. Don't know what to tell you. So Philadelphia, 22-16 to victory over New York. 14-3, which is a career franchise best now. 14 wins for Philadelphia. Giants finished the season 9-7-1. Probably Philly were thinking they were probably could rest some of their guys. But, yeah. So Hurts, 229 in, in a pick. Some rust on him, but I'd imagine he'd look a little better in a couple weeks. Using the backups uh, quite a bit. Gainwell and Scott leading the way. A.J. Brown had a big game, 95 yards. Devontae Smith was 67. Goddard, 46. On the Giants' side, Davis Webb started for the first time in his career, 168 in a score. He also ran for a score on 41 yards. Gary Brightwell was 60. Uh, this Cager guy was 69. The touchdown coming from Kenny Galladay, probably the biggest trade bust for New York in a good while. Other than that, not too much. Marcus Johnson with more yards than Galladay. Uh, defensively, on both sides, uh, Philly with the only turnover, they threw a pick. And both teams with their share of sacks. Uh, Giants sack Eagles three times. Eagles sack Giants two times. Uh, Giants face uh, Minnesota on Sunday. Chargers, how stupid are you? So they finished the season ten and seven with a thirty-one to twenty-eight loss by by losing to Denver, who finishes their season on a decent note, but an abysmal five and twelve year. Justin Herbert, two seventy-three and two scores. Chase Daniel, uh, twenty-five and a score. Eckler leading the way with thirty-four yards rushing. Keenan Allen, really good game, 102 to scores. Mike Williams did play. I'm not sure what his availability is heading into this weekend. Back injury had to be carted off. Uh, Gerald Everett, 8 yards and a score. So, yeah, I don't know what to say. Russell Wilson, 283, 3 scores and a pick. Uh, Latavius Murray, 103 and a score rushing. Chase Edmonds, 45 rushing. And actually, Jerry Judy got the ball a few times rushing, 39 yards, to add to his 154 receiving. Cortland Sutton, uh, 33 and a score. This Beatty guy, uh, 24 and a score. And this Tomlinson guy, uh, 3 three and a score. So obviously, two turnovers each on both sides. Uh Two sacks given up by Denver. Chargers gave up one sack. Half hour in. So much to digest. And the final game of the season. Detroit. Their first winning season since 2017. The Seahawks winning uh, meant they got eliminated. But it's a rivalry game between them and Green Bay. Lions win 20-16, 9-8 season. Packers 8 and 9, so their first losing season under Matt LaFleur. Jared Goff 224, 
and it stands right now 324 passing attempts without an interception. It's not the record, but he's etched himself into the top three at the very least. Jamal Williams, 72 and two scores, 17 for the season, which broke what Barry Sanders did in 1991 with 16. Khalif Raymond leading the way with 66 yards uh, receiving. DeAndre Swift actually had a good game receiving with 61. St. Brown, 49. The rest, not so much. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 205. One score, one pick. Aaron Jones, 48 yards rushing. A.J. Dillon with 33. Christian Watson leading the way with 104 uh, receiving yards. Alan Lazard, 41 a score. Defensively, a couple sacks given up by the uh, Packers, one by uh, Detroit. Packers lost the ball on a fumble and an interception, obviously, like I said. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson finished the season, I think, with eight and a half sacks. Had a really good year for being a rookie. One of the better rookie years for any Detroit guy, I'd say, since... Probably in the Dominican Sioux. So let's give my thoughts on the NFL playoffs. So the first games. Nope, that's not what I want. So the first games that I'll bring up is Seahawks Niners. That ought to be a fun game to see. I believe they split their series. As as I look at this, I think San Francisco wins. I think the defense is going to deliver some big knockouts against the Seahawks. The run game, I think, is pretty equal. Uh, two running backs, I mean, Mitchell and McCaffrey will do well. I think Kenneth Walker is going to have a really good game. I think it all depends on how well Geno Smith plays in his first playoff game ever. And we'll have to see if uh, guys like Lockett and Metcalf can help lead the way. And first game for uh, Purdy as a, uh, as, a, as a starting QB. Probably be a lot of butterflies in both these QBs. And once they get comfortable, despite the lights being brighter... Someone's going to come up. I, I think San Francisco wins. Now, the Jaguars and Chargers. I don't know. On paper, it should be the Chargers. I think this could this could go either way. But I think... I think I give a slight edge to the Chargers due to how they run and... Uh, and the and Justin Herbert, but I wouldn't rule out the Jaguars. I think Trevor Lawrence has a lot to prove, and I think with how he felt about pl- playing against Tennessee, I think he wants to do so much better and prove to the fans, hey, this is why I'm number one. I'm going to show you why I can lead this team to a Super Bowl. Those are the two Saturday games, 430 game, Niners, Seahawks, Jaguars, Chargers, 8-15. So the Sunday game, Dolphins and Bills. That's the 1 o'clock game. 
as it stands, I think it's Buffalo, depending on what happens with Tua Tugaviola. Uh, I'm not sure Miami does well. You gotta have Moster. If he don't play, I think it hurts them offensively. Even with how good Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are, and even Gasicki when he when he's that good. I do have concerns about the turnover game. I'm not sure Buffalo if they if they wind up with two res, not two receivers, uh, two turnovers in this game um, on Sunday then it's going to be a long game for them. And they need to get the run game going, too. They need to have confidence in Singletary and Cook. And Josh Allen needs to be a bit smarter because it seems like he's been struggling a lot over the last month or so. They've been winning, but I don't know. So in the 4.30 game, Giants-Vikings... Uh, right now, you could probably say slight edge goes to Minnesota. But this could be a back-and-forth game. And you could see the Giants potentially upsetting due to how great Daniel Jones has played, as well as Saquon Barkley. The health of Barkley, I think, will make a big difference versus Matteson and uh, Cook. I don't think Cook had all that great of a game the first time around. Maybe rushing-wise, but receiving-wise. Both teams will play their best defensively, I think. I'm not sure you'll see 27-24, but... Damn, if it if we see another game-winning field goal, I mean, it's going to be crazy. So, as far as Minnesota goes, I mean... They probably could win a game and then probably choke the next week. Uh, if Giants win, they'll be their first since winning the Super Bowl back in the 2011 season. And I think it changes how they do things in the off season. Then you got Ravens, Bengals. Speculation on uh, Lamar Jackson. I believe he could be returning for for the playoffs I'd be a little concerned because I'm not sure if he's be completely ready and plus there'll probably be a lot of rust to him from having not played for a month I think they played smart by not having him play um, on Sunday but you kind of have to get him because I think it changes the outcome of the game if uh because I think right now Cincinnati should be the clear winner. I'm not fully confident in their run game though, but I think if they create enough to get whoever's starting under center for Baltimore to throw some picks or fumble, then it should be Bengals all day. And then you get to the Monday night Cowboys Buccaneers. Honestly, I think this could be a game that goes either way. I would say Dallas should be the winner, but with how bad Dak Prescott's played lately, I don't know. And their run game hasn't exactly been the strongest in a while either. Neither has Tampa's. 
see how much more juice Brady has left in him. I think he has enough to squeeze out maybe one more victory. But I'm not sure this team goes to the Super Bowl. Just not a good situation at all. Not really a whole lot else going on with other sports. I mean, it is what it is. Your basic NBA and uh, NHL. So, yeah. Probably talk more a little bit in a month or two when uh, things get more exciting. So, moving on to movies. Took about 40 minutes to talk football. Avatar... The Way of Water led the way again. So their fourth weekend in theaters. And actually had a pretty good weekend. And the drop wasn't too bad. So where it stands. Avatar The Way of Water made nearly $46 million. The numbers according to BoxOfficeMojo.com. So it has found itself... At over five hundred million dollars, the total number. Hmm. I want to look. As it stands right now, and this is probably including the Monday numbers, five twenty-one domestic, one point two billion. So this movie is inching its way towards two billion. One point seven three zero nine zero six seven seven nine. So, still going to have some good legs over the next couple of weeks. Should be able to be number one again, but I don't know. Number two, Megan, the PG-13 horror thriller film, whatever you want to call it. Big hit already. $30 million opening. And the number on the budget, $12 million. So, already, this is starting to look like a better year for Universal in 2023. Uh, $32 million as it stands right now domestic and nearly $16 million uh, internationally. So already this is making mad profit. Mad profit. Number three, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, making $13.5 million. So it's enjoying... A better run compared to the bad guys, and I think that this this number eighty nine million. I think this was right around where bad guys had total wise domestically. It inched itself as it stands now at over two hundred million. So already, this movie's probably doing decent enough to potentially make a small profit, and Universal probably pretty happy. Had a big boost over uh, New Year's. Really big boost. Number four, A Man Called Otto. So this is the limited release of the Tom Hanks movie. Expanded a little more in theaters um, over the weekend. So it's made... 4.6 4.6 million right now and 8.4 internationally making over 13 so it overall weekend was 4.2 million so obviously a huge increase compared to being in just four theaters um, the budget for this movie is 50 million which 
I think when you look at that, that's going to be kind of a tough uphill battle, especially with some of the new stuff coming out. Uh, number five, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, $3.5 million. So sitting comfortably worldwide at $831 million. Four forty-five domestic, nearing four forty-six, and a little over three hundred eighty-five million. So I mean, people want to get their last licks in at this movie before it gets pulled out of theaters. Still playing in a good amount of theaters, twenty-two hundred. Number six, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Two point four million. So this movie. Altogether worldwide, it's at 41 million, nearing 42, nearing 20 million domestically, and nearing 22 mil internationally. I would say worldwide, this should reach the budget, but I don't think the studio that made this movie is going to be pleased. So I'd argue this movie is a flop from TriStar Pictures. So. Columbia, I think. I don't know. Uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be looked at as a flop, not a not a bomb, but it definitely is a flop. Uh, number seven, the whale. So I think this is opening up more in theaters as well. In the same situation with a man called Otto. So this is playing in eight hundred theaters right now. Uh, sitting right now at 8.5 million domestically made a million and a half over the weekend actually I want to see what the budget is for that movie I can't imagine it being that high the whale budget that's is that for, is that for real? Three million? That can't be right. That, that is that is that really for real? I'm just trying to look for the budget. Three million. So this movie's already going to make a small profit. If it hasn't already. That's unbelievable. And it's got like a big name guy. Darren Aronofsky. He's done like award winning movies. And to do this small film for 3 million. I mean this is with Brendan Fraser too. Mind you. You think there would be some clout to him. But. 8.5 million domestically. So this should. This should enjoy some small success for A24. And they've... I mean, they've had some people, some big-name people in it, in their movies. Like, I think they're the ones that did the Uncut Gems movie with Adam Sandler, and that's considered one of his... Um, that's considered, like, one of the better movies of... of... Um, Sandler's career. At least so I remember. Lighthouse, let's see, Midsummer X, I think that movie did 
okay in theaters. They, I mean, they do like smaller budget films. To, to have it that low, though, that is shocking. Uh, number eight, Babylon at $1.4 million. So, this movie, I mean, this is going to be a massive failure for uh, Paramount. 13 Point six million on a budget of eighty million. I'm not sure if the long length time. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it panned, but I don't think a lot of people are in love with it either. Man, uh, number nine, Violent Night at seven hundred six thousand dollars. So obviously it's nearing the end of its run pretty pretty obvious dropped to less than 2,000 theaters so no doubt there will probably be a smaller drop uh, nearing 50 million not sure if it will reach it though now but small budget small uh, profit probably for Universal 75 million worldwide And number 10, the menu at 685000 So obviously, probably nearing the end of its run too. Kind of similar numbers to uh, Violent Night Worldwide. Although, the menu's been out for almost two months. I'm trying to think if this ever had like a that big... Okay, yeah, it did have a big release. Right around... Ultimate Theaters oh, had like a big nationwide release uh, November 18th. Who would have thought for it being like Searchlight it would be would have been smaller first. Never mind. So there's not much coming out to the theater this weekend. I mean I know there's um, where is it? There's a limited release coming out today. Shin Ultraman. Is that like an animated film or something? Okay, not what I was thinking of. This is a sci-fi fantasy. Oh yeah, it is Ultraman. It's a live-action Ultraman. Doing okay internationally. 31 million. Though whether that's considered a hit or not, I don't know. And three wide releases coming out this weekend. Man Called Otto. I would think that would do okay on account of it being a Tom Hanks movie. The Devil Conspiracy. Which that is... That looks like a fantasy horror horror thriller. And the other is Plane, which is the new Gerard Butler movie. That might be a thriller too. Action thriller. As far as that goes for the weekend, not really much else. There is the offering, which that is. Okay, horror movie with an ancient demon. Yeah. Uh, Cuddy. Or cutie, K-U-T-T-E-Y. Looks like an action film. 
Is this an action film involving dogs? Action comedy crime thriller. Okay. I am... I am extremely curious... One rainy night in the outskirts of Mumbai, three three stray gangs unknowingly cross paths on the hunt, and it's every man. It, it's it's um, Indian Hindi. Okay, it's dogs. I think that's the name for it. So looks like this movie might be done a little differently for the weekend. Skinamarink. That's... Is this another horror movie? Okay. Looks like a thriller. Nope, horror. Looks like it'd be like a suspenseful horror movie. Uh, House Party, which is... being produced by LeBron James... And honestly, it seems like it'd be a testing ground to see if this movie will fare well in theaters. I'm not sure it will. None of the house parties were ever big hits. I think only the first one had any sort of good reception. Then the rest after that were failures. Well, as far as like a reception goes. But I don't think any of them fared all that well. Then there's my father, Muhammad Ali, The Untold Story. Through the eyes of his only son, biological son, struggle with bullying. Is this a document on like what happened behind the scenes when when Junior was growing up? I'm not sure people want to listen to that, but with it being involving Muhammad Ali, I mean, Cassius Clay, you know, it might be something. And the last thing for the weekend is The Headmistress. And another horror movie is Supernatural stuff. Oh my... I I know it's the new thing, trying to find the newest horror movie to get people to go see, but it just seems kind of overdone, especially for why you see these as limited releases. So, that's nothing compared to seeing how abysmal uh, television is now these days. Especially on the late night spectrum. And I keep seeing things on the regrets of NBC. So I guess at some point they extended... Um, a contract for Jimmy Fallon that was worth $80 million and the ratings have not been good uh, from what I understand uh, his numbers uh, have been dipping below a million and a half for tonight's show standards that's probably really really bad and there was something that just happened recently let's give me a second There was something uh, really, really bad, I think, that 
was panned all around. I'm not sure if it was his idea or not, but he did a singing dance involving uh, COVID, which really, I mean, it's it's not fresh. It's not cool. I mean, we're kind of past that age now of, yeah, the pandemic still exists, but is it really worth it? And basically being called cringe and several other things. I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff like sketches and all that, but it sounds like they're trying to do multiple things with with Fallon as an attempt to boost their ratings. And maybe this is just the spectrum of late night television, but I think the focus on political stuff, even if it's not in the majority of the Tonight Show, I think we're kind of past that period now of people tuning in in mass quantities to to watch Fallon or Seth Meyers or Jimmy Kimmel or Stephen Colbert. I think I think late night television as a whole, it just seems like it's struggling immensely. Especially when you look at uh, Comedy Central, the sudden surprise of a month or two ago regarding Trevor Noah leaving the show, uh, they're relying on basically new hosts so it's kind of in that situation similar to Jeopardy trying to find like a host that can be on there permanently and they're starting off with uh, Leslie Jones in I think like less than a week now and some of the names they got it to be like hosts it's it's people that I'm not sure that would handle doing something like The Daily Show. It's like John Leguizamo, really? I mean, some like someone as old as like Sarah Silverman, like that's the best you could do for one particular week or one hosting episode. There is uh, what is uh, Chelsea Handler who has done TV hosting with her own show, but it's a little different, I feel. There's like a bunch of others too. I th- I feel like they they leaned more towards like left leaning people, which obviously that's been the case for a lot of that John Stewart type crowd. But it seems a lot more blatant than than obvious. Um, I mean, not to say they've always been hard on the right, but it it seems pretty obvious the people they chose were for specific political reasons, not because of their resume or anything of that nature of in terms of humor. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, bit of time for uh, Comedy Central because what do they really have? I know they did the Reno 911 stuff that was on Quibi. They got South Park. But other than that, what else is there? They're essentially relying on tons of reruns of of The Office to keep them alive and sprinkling in 
Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think Futurama might still be on there at times. Maybe not. Uh, Seinfeld. This whole binging mentality, the marathon mentality, I'm not sure it's really working the way they want it to be. I was seeing that, uh, I think it was this past Sunday, if not uh, New Year's, a 24-hour stretch of uh, ridiculousness on MTV. I mean, I can't really think of any other networks that had, that tried doing that uh, in that type of manner, um, as far as to start the new year. But still, some things are kind of normal. Um, what isn't normal is YouTube. So, YouTube has been pretty sneaky with doing stuff over the years, and to get a response from them is like getting a response from any president. It's, it's non-existent, and if you do, you probably get someone else on the line. And basically, they have YouTube, I'm talking about, uh, they have these, like, automated robots that come off with, like, this manufactured, like, hey, thank you for saying, blah, 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 can you blah, 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 that sort of stuff, and so they are, over the last month or so, they've kind of been putting in some changes, uh, there's one in particular, there's one I'll talk about where they removed the video added oldest part. And this was part of their user interface interface change where they they basically got rid of the ability to go all the way back to a person's videos. I think that is a really dumb move on YouTube's part because there are YouTube channels that have thousands of videos for that account. And you just made it way, way more difficult by by removing that. And not everyone wants to watch the newer videos of, of an account. Some people might want to have the older stuff on just to... You know, have something on for background noise, or, or maybe just to rethink of the old days. So, for example, there's a channel I watch called the Nostalgia Mall. Nice channel. It's a uh, focus on vintage computers, mostly Packard Bell, which is kind of one of the things I like about it because one of my first computers was a Packard Bell. Um, let's say I want to watch one of the older videos regarding a Packard Bell computer. I won't be able to quite as easily, and if there's one that was relatively big, I'm going to have to go through the popular section. I know you can type in the description what you want, but it's not always the best choice because it can be kind of random with what videos they pop up from the top of the page. But the big thing that I just read, and this was implemented, I think, at the start of the new year, uh, going pretty hard on cursing. So a lot of 
people are getting their videos demonetized because of swearing and some specific ways such as swearing within the first 8 seconds, 15 seconds otherwise you get demonetized and was, this was watching like a video online and the thing is and I kind of kind of put two and two together on what my thought is why they're doing this this probably has to do with trying to cater to, to places like Walmart Coca-Cola as they evidented in their videos probably probably Febreze Pepsi fast food like Wendy's and McDonald's it's probably they want things to be more family friendly I don't get it they implemented this COPPA thing to see to say that hey this isn't for kids they probably want they probably don't want to babysit these kids these parents and they don't pay attention to what their kids watch on YouTube and so they probably compl- probably looking at it through that perspective and panicking again and I mean there's YouTube kids Shouldn't that be more than enough to satisfy the parents? Or are kids not caring about YouTube kids and want to find something else? I think a lot of their uh, rule changes also involve like violence, drug-related stuff, a bunch of weird things that's like... It's almost as if they're trying to implement like a, like a system similar to the television and the early uh, 70s when the motion picture rating thing started coming about it almost feels like it's trying to be like a smaller version of Hollywood and unfortunately there's not really a lot of alternative stuff to go to for uh, video sharing I know there's daily motion but who uses that or Vimeo for that matter there's not really an alternative the same way Facebook was an alternative to MySpace. Which, granted, you know what? I've never used MySpace in my life as far as... I don't remember using that when I was like a teenager. I know people have, but... <laughs> uh, but it just seems like YouTube does not want to listen to its audiences. They're more concerned about about these big conglomerates... And I don't think we'll see immediate change down the road, but there could be, probably come a point where it basically looks like cable TV. Which is funny because I was listening to something on TV, and I think it was 21 uh, in my area. One of the channels, I forget. Um, there was some actually extended cursing in it was surprising. I actually managed to get away with uh, some bigger swears. And I feel like we could be going down that direction soon for cable. Some channels, mind you. Not all. But, yeah. So that's my thoughts with the YouTube thing. I don't think it's a good idea, but YouTube ain't gonna listen. And I'm sure that'll be the case of what's going on in gaming-wise with the Hogwarts Legacy game. 
So this game has been under fire for probably a good part of the year over the views of Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling. And she... I'm not sure if she had direct involvement with the game or not, but it is based on her property. And this attempts to boycott the game. And supposedly, the game is becoming like the best-selling game in January of this year. And I don't think the game comes out until... I don't think the game comes out until February. I want to see about the pre, pre-order pre-order numbers because it's doing mad numbers on Steam. I'm sure it probably will be the case across the PS4, uh, PS5, and the Xbox Series. Curious to see if the numbers will be the same when the uh, Xbox One and Switch versions come out. Already the best-selling game. This is from xfire.com. This game will be huge on the PC. (laughs) There must be some dark arts involved, given how well Hogwarts Legacy is selling before it's even out. Uh, Number one most wishlist game on Steam, ranking the top four selling games on Steam five weeks before launch. If quality is good, this could probably be the biggest game of 2023. Because obviously there's three other games ahead of it. Because you got Counter-Strike, Dota 2, Apex Legends. Those are free to play. Yeah. Elden Ring and Call of Duty. Man, biggest could probably have the biggest weekend whenever that comes out ambitious stuff and the whole thing with the yeah and this goes into something that I'll talk about and I'll preface this with a warning you'll probably hear a lot of language that might be inappropriate so bear with me uh, this involves limited run games and the Harry po- the Hogwarts Legacy thing so Limited Run just fired a community manager of theirs. I believe her name is Carolyn. And she got fired over a tweet. I'll put some context in it in a second. So, this Kara girl tweeted that she was excited to play the new, the new Hogwarts game. Some people really want to play the game. But there is this transgender, cisgender, I don't know how the fuck you, I don't know what the fuck you call this person, but just basically a trans activist who dug up information about some of the Twitter stuff that this Kara girl has and basically posted it out to the world and limited run posted stuff regarding the situation in public and basically relieving Carolyn of her duties 
And as it stands, I think this was over the weekend. So far, it has been kind of a disaster right now for a limited run. Because there are people that have expressed huge disappointment towards them as a whole. Um, They canceled out their comments sections. They turned off comments on their latest stuff. And a lot of people are not pleased that by having to do the retweet quote and basically saying their views on the situation. So this is blowing up, but not in the way I think Limited Run did. So let's put it in the context. So this transgender person her name is Purple Tinker. I wish I was making that up. Purple Tinker. This is a person that is... I would, I would definitely put in that case of extremist LGBTQ member. So this person dug up a tweet from back in 2016 regarding what this Carolyn said about transgenders and bathrooms and comparing them to rapists and all that. It, maybe not the best tweet in the world, but expressing her... I don't, see, I don't think there was anything too offensive from what I understand. And trying to look at followers that she was a part of certain things like libs of TikTok and Ben Shapiro and and several others. I mean, I, I mean, this probably wouldn't have been something I talk about until I listened to some videos online and read some stuff regarding uh, limited run. Um, and so this purple tinker is what people would call a brony. So this is an adult fan of My Little Pony, supposedly founded this BronyCon thing, and listening to a video online and listening to some stuff regarding comments, it sounds like even the brony community is not big on this... um, person because she is basically a nutcase and has a lot of hate towards tons of people Uh, particularly 10 years ago when uh, the Boston bombing happened and basically ripping on his own uh, community stories of being a bully, harassing people, and even admitting that she is a bully. I don't know about you, but this situation feels like a Paula Dean type of situation, and this, this trans activist has got to be a complete fucking idiot. Now, I don't think she deserves some of the vitriol that she's getting. Um, 
but which is pretty extreme on the other side too. But basically, this dumbass of a activist got frustrated that this person was excited to play Harry Potter, to play Hogwarts Legacy. This is this is a no life for person, in my opinion. If you're looking to dig into someone's profile, oh, they follow certain people of the conservative side. It's like, really? You're going that crazy for that? This person, this purple tinker's a fucking moron. They're hiding now with... I don't know what it is now, if they are still on Twitter or not. They might have turned it off. They may have not. They might have returned. This person does not want to be judged and put out a statement and trying to make things all about her from the, from the sounds of it and try to make it about, oh, LGBTQ and women getting screwed and... I don't think I don't think this idiot realizes how much damage she has done not only to herself but to limited run games. And limited run if it is true to their name, limited run sells limited quantities of games that are digital and put on physical and certain special edition stuff. And their prices, I feel like, are what, 60 to 100 I don't know about you, but that's a recipe for disaster. And I'm not sure if this will cause enough blowback for a limited run. It could be swept under the rug, and they could still be operating in no time. But if to what they're doing is a smaller scale stuff, as they're doing... Uh, they're going to be hurt for a while uh, and probably not make as big money as they probably thought they would to begin 2023. Both sides are pretty guilty of it. If I'm limited run, I'd be looking into the situation, what exactly happened, who thought this was a good idea to and maybe looking to see if anyone else was upset at this person, at the community manager, and see if anyone else beyond just the trans activist that went after her, see if it was, there was anyone else that went after their community manager and look at the information regarding this person because the, this person is pretty infamous for a reason. Very infamous. And when this person is disregarded, disregarded by their own community... That should be pretty telling, and I think I think Limited Run wanted to cater to to this person, and it's something you see with certain companies catering to like people who are upset over like the dumbest shit. So if I was this purple tinker person, I'd be away from the internet for a while. And I would be reevaluating life and priorities because she is a fucking idiot. And 
there's a special place for people like her, unfortunately, who think it's cute to bully people, intimidate people, because they think everyone is out to get them for their choice of gender, which I'm sure not everyone's going to judge. If that's what she wants to be, so be it. But she also has to realize there's consequences for her actions. That's why she's put out apology stuff in recent years because of how she's acting, and I don't think she's learned her goddamn lesson. You know, people like her suck. They they hurt their own community. They hurt their own. They hurt the LGBTQ community by making things worse for the for for others. And they make things worse for companies who now have to do damage control. If I'm limited to run, I am issuing out an apology and maybe trying to get this person their job back. Because I don't think it's worth the amount of damage that could potentially happen over over a stupid tweet that feels like a Paula Dean situation. And that's not the only thing as far as seeing some controversial stuff. So there's there's a guy that was on G4 TV, uh, both runs, and his name is Adam Sessler. So this is a guy that has been... I think really his only things are G4 TV. He was involved in reviewing games, being involved, and... I was never the hugest fan of the guy because it just seemed like he wanted to be the opposite opinion for the sake of being the opposite or was always like seemed like he always had like this negative tone when it comes to when it came to games. I mean, if you agreed with him, so be it. If you didn't, oh well. But he was part of the uh revived G four they came about at the start of last year and a couple months back uh, G4 shut down and there are definitely reasons why it shut down I wouldn't be surprised if Sessler was one of those reasons but this guy this guy has had some pretty strong and extreme thoughts towards people of the opposite political spectrum and this guy Sessler is a very hard left leaning person uh, the fact where he wished death upon some of his own family members because they were Republican it's pretty disturbing in my opinion and this moron of a person kept going on and on at points over the, over time of his thoughts on Republicans. I mean, it's one thing to be upset. If you're upset at what happened in 2016, sure, I get it. But to take it that far, not cool. And I'd say that applies to the other side as well. Um... But a lot of hate saying that he hates gamers to the point where he had a thing about gamers are stupid 
in his um, Twitter handle, I think, and basically ripping on anyone, like regardless of whether they liked him or not. Essentially, just bunch of nasty shit that you know you wouldn't think he'd go that far, but he did. It just basically ripping on everybody. I think there's something that has to be said about the nerd side of about the nerd community and you know gaming in general comic books what have you some of these people whether it's you know like an Adam Sessler or a uh, Mark Hamill or a Pedro Pascal they they get away with a lot of things and it's pretty disturbing some of the things they say and get be kept on a place like a Twitter I think there has to come a point to where it doesn't matter how famous these guys are or not. It, what, with these examples or others, you know, especially in voice acting communities, um, I think there needs to be some form of accountability because one of these days, I do think there will be consequences for some of the some of the people looking for work in some of these. Um, gaming communities and comic book communities, animation, what have you. And I think this is a case of a guy that essentially went all Frank Grimes and has lost his mind on everything. And this is the case of is this guy okay mentally? Because I don't think he is. And I think it'll come down to there might be, I mean this is a to keep in mind, Adam Sessler is 49 years old. So, if this is a facade, it's a really bad facade and a bad act. If this is for real, this guy needs a lot of help. Because this is a washed up guy who essentially acts like a 20 year old who who probably watched too many Judd Apatow or Seth Rogen movies to to say dialogue that sounds like something you hear out of out of those type of movies. I mean, we're not in the two thousands. We're not. I mean, it might be okay if the guy was somewhat relevant or in his thirties, trying to be edgy, but he ain't edgy. He's just a washed up fool who ripping on the people who provided them any sort of success. Any success. Like, I can't think of anything else he's done in between. I know there's probably some stuff, because I think he founded, like, a robotic company or something that got bought out. But, I mean, there's definitely some stuff that needs to be fixed in gaming and stuff. This is one of those examples. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to be fixed in the industry. I mean, I hate to end it on a bad note, but it's like... Gaming is rather toxic at points. And I think the emphasis on the political stuff, um, greediness, everything in between, it's... this. The game industry will not implode... But there might come a point in, I don't know, in some point, I don't know how long, 
but we're far away from any implosion, I think. Can't wait to talk about the game crash uh, of 83 at some point, because I'm willing to bet there's some people that wish for the industry to crash and start start anew and maybe start focusing on maybe not being as political or not being as greedy and maybe trying to work on stuff that can improve games as a whole. I hope we can see improvement at some point. I would love to see many things improve. I mean, there's certain things that shouldn't be fixed. There's some that should. Gaming, gaming still has ways to go to improve. And that is it for this episode. As I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, 137 in the books. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.